0: happy friday everyone it's your host john scardina i am so excited to announce this friday special episode i was recently featured on the tell us how to make it better podcast with host george siegel he's a weather guy he's a director and producer of the last house standing among other films really really great content he looks at solutions that's basically his gig He finds problems in the world, and then he finds a solution for them. He identifies those solution. He brings on experts. He talks to them about what they're doing about that. He interviewed me after Hurricane Ian. He lives in Tampa. He said, what do we do for hurricanes? How do we address this problem? So he has been gracious enough to give us that audio recording that we put on the Disaster Tough podcast. He's also one of the podcasters on the Readiness Lab Network. If you have comments, please tag. Tell us how to make it better podcast. Check it out right now here we go like my my number one job is to keep people alive preventable death. that's number one and the number two is getting them to return back to normal as fast as possible and so in terms of preventable death and hurricanes there's a lot you can do to get out
1: you know a lot of people should be rethinking their location you know anybody? I'd like to say below fifteen feet elevation, whether that's from a uh, the the coast or from a river or even a, a creek. You know, if if you're you know, you can have flash flooding with these very intense rains. You know, better be thinking. You know, what am I? What can I do to mitigate the risk that I
2: have? I'm George Siegel, and this is the Tell Us How to Make It Better podcast. Every week, we introduce you to people who are working on real-world problems and providing actual solutions. Tell Us How to Make It Better is partnering with The Readiness Lab, the home for podcasts, webinars, and training in the field of emergency and disaster services. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me on the Tell Us How to Make It Better podcast. This is the start of my second season doing this. And uh, for the first episode, I had planned on going to a local organic farm actually had this the segment already and uh, that's how i wanted to start off but then hurricane ian hit and that changed everything as uh anybody knows who's following any kind of news especially if you aren't in florida um you probably have to have to have seen the devastation in southwest florida that storm was supposed to hit tampa it was forecast for days to hit tampa that's where i live and seeing what happened in southwest florida is just Not only does your heart break for the people who are suffering it, for the people here, it makes you go, first, wow, I dodged a bullet. But beyond that, I think it has to make you think, what would that have been like if it hit here? What kind of damage would we have faced? And what would be ahead for us after that storm had passed? When you see areas like Sanibel, uh, Naples, um, Fort Myers, Fort Myers Beach, It's going to be years for those places to get back together. And so we know the tragedy there. We saw it in my documentary film, The Last House Standing with Mexico Beach, when Hurricane Michael just devastated that area. It was an older community. And and so people here could go, well, that was a totally different situation. You can't say that now because it's not a totally different situation. We saw the path. We saw the blueprint for what could happen here. And so what I find curious and what I want to focus on today is how will that change anything? What can people do here to think differently? And here could apply to anywhere along the Gulf Coast. It could apply to anywhere up the East Coast, anywhere prone to a hurricane. And you could take it beyond that to anyone prone to a disaster in their area. So I have a couple of guests on today that are, that are experts in, in talking about this kind of stuff. John Scardina and Eris Papadopoulos. And we're going to talk to them about their thoughts on Ian and what that means for other areas. Joining me is the CEO of Doberman Emergency Management, uh, John Scardina. Doberman focuses on protecting life, property, and continuity of operations through planning, operations, and training. John, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Happy to be here, George. It's good to see you again and a big fan of your film. I appreciate that. The Last yeah, House Standing yeah. is what uh, John is referring to. And, and we did that film focusing on Mexico Beach, truly the last house standing um, mm-hmm. after the hurricane there. And, and John, you were kind of following along. I was making a, a montage of videos that I was posting mm-hmm. as we were preparing for that, the, the storm for Ian to hit here in Tampa. Those are kind of thrown out the window now. They're really, they don't have the same impact because of the devastation that is to our south. First off, your thoughts on Ian um, in, as a professional in, in this industry. So uh, about 12 hours before Ian hit, I had a
0: friend contact me and said, Tampa, Tampa Bay is going to sl- get slammed. And I, all I s- sent back to him was just wait. Uh, Hurricane Matthew in particular uh, reminded me that uh, hurricanes can shift at the last second. So the, the cone of cer- un- uncertainty is real. And when we start playing into what the media tells us, and really like I do this too, right? Like you look at the code uncertainty and say, okay, in the middle path, Tampa. And so of course, Tampa had to, had to look out, but I, I think, um, gosh, my, my heart just goes out to a lot of people who got slammed in Fort Myers and, and down a little bit more South, I believe. And really across the state, uh, you know, I heard stories from, you know, all the way up to Orlando, Um, and beyond. And so now that it's getting back into warmer waters, uh, you know, my heart just goes out to everybody. But again, when it comes to hurricanes and the cone of uncertainty, just wait, prepare all the outlier areas as well. And uh, you'll be much better prepared.
2: You know, I don't think that the meteorologists in the Hurricane Center are because I watch this stuff, you know, every second. And They were talking about don't just pay attention to the center, especially since the U.S. model was on the left. The European model was on the right going down where the storm ended up pretty much going, maybe a little further south than that. But it was in the cone. And so they weren't caught off guard. And I don't want to criticize or second guess anybody down there. They have a tragedy to deal with. What I want to focus on more is, okay. so for areas like Tampa, It makes you go, you know, I thought we were as prepared as we could be. I I thought we had all the things in place that would make it Mm. less of a tragedy. And now I'm thinking, wow, does anything matter if a hurricane like that hits you? (laughs) Are you just it doesn't seem like anything that it just is frightening to see what happens. Those people's lives are changed forever.
0: So uh, I will say, yes, there are things you can do and there's a lot you can do as an individual. There's a lot you can do as a community. Um, I, I we talk about now this is kind of off, off topic, but act whether it's active shooters or hurricanes, distances your friend as an individual. Like, my, my number one job is to keep people alive, preventable death. That's number one. And the number two is getting them to return back to normal as fast as possible. And so, in terms of preventable death and hurricanes, there's a lot you can do to get out. Uh, on the getting back to normal stuff. Your film called it out, Building codes matter. Where you build matter, insurance matters. You, you, the, the reality is, when a storm comes through like this, and it will come through, especially in her, uh, you know, Hurricane Alley, right, if you will, uh, Florida and the Gulf Coast, as these storms come through, this shouldn't I, I saw a word on social media that really blew me away. The word was incomprehensible damage. And my very first thought was incomprehensible. Like I can comprehend this because we've seen hurricanes before. We know exactly what they do. Harrowing? Yes. Terrible? Yes. Terrifying? Absolutely. But incomprehensible. We need to, as the professional side, we need to get much better at looking at building codes and preparing individuals and families for this kind of thing.
2: Now, I guess we won't know until, I mean, it's going to take months to to analyze this. We're just getting studies now from Mexico Beach, um, what happened, and that was several years ago. But did the newer structures matter? Did evacuation plans matter? You know, what we saw here in Tampa, and again, I say this is a great blueprint for us because you're never going to get a more clear-cut example of what that southwesterly approach can do to this part of Florida. This took the path that would literally wipe us out. So then you look at, okay, where did people evacuate? A lot of people here went to Orlando. Some people went because they thought they could have a couple days at Disney World and Universal Studios. Mm -hmm. Those people had more damage in Orlando than we ended up having here in Tampa. If you fled uh, further north and the storm took that northerly path, if you had gone to Tallahassee or, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, anywhere up into Georgia, those places were in the path of the storm. So it kind of paralyzes you going, what do I do? Go to Canada. Yeah. Even Canada (laughs) got hit
0: recently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, I talked to somebody who said, hey, Tampa's going to get hit. You should head south. You know, go to the Keys. Well, the Keys got hit. Yeah. And so, you know, the the reality is the. As much as destruction as there was, was and and you'll see this in the next several days as it comes through. And this will be a 10 year recovery like most major disasters. Everywhere. Has some level of impact. Some areas has catastrophic. Some have minor. And uh, if you look at the Red Cross shelters where they they set up, they never set up in a flood zone. They get people out. And the very rare circumstances, I'm thinking Hurricane Katrina was one of them, where they they didn't have that foresight. Now they do. And so there are you know, there are places of safety and security that people can get to, even if it's if they can't get you know thousands of miles away to you know, Alaska, you know, uh, you know, the North pole, wherever it may be.
2: Well, when you listen to the reports and what I was hearing yesterday was, I think it was Fort Myers beach, the entire infrastructure, the power grid was destroyed. So it's not just putting up some utility poles and getting power back. You can't get to Sanibel Island anymore. The road is, is destroyed. And it's not like even after the earthquake in 90, uh, in 89 in San Francisco, where the Bay bridge collapsed, it was one section And they could focus on that and rebuild it. They may have to rebuild this entire causeway. Mm -hmm. So the disruption, when you use words like incomprehensible, I think for us laymen, you know, we're not in your field where you study this and know know all that stuff. It is incomprehensible. When I talk to my neighbors and people around Tampa and people are walking around like, whoa, did we just get lucky And so my thought is, okay, what does that mean now going forward? What does we just got lucky mean? Would you not ride out the next storm? Are you going to actually get a generator? Um, We lost power for a minute. My next door neighbor has been without power since the storm hit. Spectrum, which I think is the worst internet service in the world. Those guys, when Irma hit here, they went out before the storm hit and were out for a week afterwards. We have Frontier. They never lost power, but a lot of people are still without internet. So we got a minor taste here. But does scaring people, what would that mean now for Tampa? I, I haven't, I'm going to interview the emergency managers here and people as they are able to have time down the road. But what changes? Because they seemed really prepared. I was impressed with the level of preparation that they were talking about here. But none of that would have mattered if that storm had hit here.
0: Right. So going back to the incomprehensible comment, incomprehensible. Um, I like what you said. From, for the everyday person, yes, it is comprehensible. If if I go through, uh, you know, personal story, my my son had to go to the hospital. As an individual, it was incomprehensible. Of how do we get here? My my, I, I'm worried about my son. I'm worried about my wife. That those kind of things, and that's incomprehensible. For a doctor, it should not be. It, a doctor should be professional and, and understand the level of impact. Critical infrastructure impacts. Um, you know, like I said earlier it will take 10 years to recover from a major disaster. Critical infrastructure is impacted. Uh, Puerto Rico is a great example. Maria went through, destroyed their critical infrastructure, power included, roads included. And you, you had another hurricane just go right through and it destroyed the same bridges that they put up. And so what do you do? And and it is scary, right? Um, And I, honestly, Tampa Bay did dodge a bullet. I mean, and you're talking a real bullet here. um. Yeah. And so it's it's really it's really fascinating to see it from all sides of the angle, especially those local emergency managers and hats off to them. Those men and women, they're probably already exhausted and they'll be doing this for several more weeks, if not months to to come. And so um, all those responders, the, the linemen who go out there and restore that power, um, you know, you, you see you, you see the exhaustion. And so my call out for individuals when you. When you see somebody sitting down in a subway, that lineman trying to eat us up, please be patient with that person because, you know, they're probably pretty exhausted themselves.
2: Yeah, You got to give people a little space because you have no idea the depth of what they're going through. Um, I'm just curious to see how things change here, because when I interviewed people here, we were talking about what they did called the the Hurricane Phoenix scenario, which Mm -hmm. was done back around 2010. The population has exploded here, and I was reading how they did a reboot of it around 2020. And with the growth of this place, they rec- they said $300 billion worth of losses, 50 million tons of wreckage. Um, 70% of the businesses in Pinellas County would be destroyed. 60% in Tampa. Downtown Tampa would be under potentially 20 feet of water. All of right. South Tampa, 12 to 15 feet. Our house could handle 10. Many others cannot. Um, so... And when I was talking to the emergency guys for the film, they were saying, well, people need a wake up call hopefully Michael will be a wake up call. I don't know that anything changed here. There's no way to deflect water like they have over in the Netherlands. So I just don't know how things are different. And what what paralyzes me, I'm not a lifelong Floridian. I'm just a big chicken who wanted to move to Florida and, and loves it here. I consider this my home. But the two places I wanted to potentially move from here were Sanibel Island and naples those are my favorite places and it's just making me sick to see that and to think what that would have been like here we would be living their tragedy i was talking to a friend uh who
0: is on pine island which is basically fort myers uh if you look at fort myers beach it's uh it's just well, maybe five minutes down the road and uh or across the water and i was facetiming a friend and i said hey uh You know why are you still there? Because you know he said, "Hey, I'm hunkering down," and I, I, I texted him back. I said, "You know, you should get out." And he Facetime. He goes, "Hey, uh, I thought I was going to Tampa, and so I, I thought I could stay. I thought I could write it out." And it shifted, and now, now we're stuck. And then you hear a loud boom, and the Facetime died. He goes, "Oh," and he, and he, the Facetime died. I try to get in contact with him again. I contacted a lot of our friends who are down there, first responders. Um, And hats off to them The urban search and rescue Everybody lost contact His family lost contact Everybody lost contact with him And it was uh, The eye came through After the eye I was trying to contact him His cell phone was ringing But I couldn't get a hold of him Neither could anybody else Well 8pm last night um, uh, Several buddies Took down a boat And found him House destroyed He had a one story house on the water House destroyed Uh, His boat was gone Uh, his business, he operates a a lot of equipment out of a trailer, his, his trailer gone, but they found him helping his neighbors. And the most amazing part of that is he asked for a few supplies and he opted to stay. And so that was 8 PM last night, just, just found him. And, uh, it's, it's, it shows, uh, you know, even when you're in the, the worst of circumstances, when you focus on other people, it's a way to survive. And uh, the next several months um, will be a very difficult road for him. Um, and, uh, you know, my heart goes out to him. And there are probably hundreds of those stories where, uh, you know, we, we look at that. Unfortunately, um, experience tells me that unless you're in Fort Myers, uh, sometimes decision makers will think, well, we got lucky. We'll probably get lucky again. And that's just not the case. If you if you can wake up and, and do a little bit, then you can prevent this kind of stuff from happening.
2: Well, was he in an older home? Do you know what kind of house he had? Was it concrete? Uh, I think it was a concrete home. He, he, I mean, I can only
0: tell from the FaceTime video he was showing me. Concrete home. He had no windows towards the
2: water. Uh, if you're not elevated... Even a concrete home is not going to survive that kind no, of storm surge. Not, the not houses that understand. are ten, fifteen feet up at least have a chance.
0: Yeah, I mean, when he was on, the wind was already already going, and we watched a tree fall onto somebody's boat. You know, just on the other side, and I was like, "Hey, uh, you got to get out of here." So, but luckily, he was okay, and unfortunately, some people are not. Um, but again, there are things we can do. Uh, New Jersey uh, woke up after Hurricane Sandy and said. Uh, now it's against the law to build on the water. They put dunes, they they just, they had destroyed all their natural dunes. They put the dunes back in and lo and behold, big storms have come in there and no surge surge is the thing that, you know, you, you look at the two types of death in hurricanes, it's surge and it's generators. Those are the two, uh, you know, number one causes of death one and two. And so if you can get surge to be minimalized, 20 feet of water in tampa that's that's a lot of surge to stop and then uh you know on the other hand if you can teach people how to operate when there is no power safely you could probably save a lot of lives that way too
2: yeah and you know it's people that are on those islands or in those places that suffered this kind of damage you know like the people in in mexico beach in the last house standing if all the infrastructure around you is destroyed your life is still displaced. You just maybe are a little more whole than than everybody around you. I think what the interesting thing is for, for people here in Tampa, you're always faced with that flight, you know, stay? do I stay? Do I go down with the ship? By I made flight. that comment to you in a text. Or do you get out of here and, and save your life? But then you hear that people that left, that there was looting going on and mm-hmm. immediately people know who leaves and they go and they rob their house. Or afterwards, if you want to try to protect what few things you have left and you can't get back, so it's a tough decision. I think next time, for sure, I would get my family out of here um, because the weight of that responsibility is just, I mean, I think I aged 10 years going, God, if this hits here and my family gets injured, I, I'm disposable, but I can't ha- let anything happen to them. I mean, that's a thats a horrible feeling. If it makes you feel any better, you're not disposable to me, George. <laughs>
0: well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, But it was a wake up call for you. Right. I mean, you and I were talking as well during it. And I was like, oh, man, this meteorologist, he's a he's essentially a storm chaser. You have experience. You've also done things for yourself personally. And so you were you were looking to, I wouldn't say capitalize, but experience it and hopefully be okay. And I think it's also a wake up call to say, hey, you you were going to move to these areas that were destroyed. And you're like, not worth it. And uh, that's that's good for a lot of people. When it comes to looting, I, I've heard a lot of the stories of looting. But I've also responded to several Type 1 events. And the looting is a hundredth of what is reported. This sus- is the suspect. Yes, there are people who do that. Yes, it is horrible. And yes, it's stupid. But you are more important than your stuff. And um, hopefully you have insurance and hopefully those things. So whether it got washed out in the water or pirate i mean basically that's what they are at that point a pirate comes in and and hijacks some of that stuff uh that's probably already damaged by the water
2: to be honest uh not as important as your life yeah now here in tampa a few hundred thousand people are still without power and we got we Mm -hmm. didn't even get the hurricane we got the the weakest winds that you could get from a storm that powerful and two hundred thousand people are without power i think the generator business maybe this will wake people up you can walk around and you know who has a generator because you can hear those can things hear from blocks. It, yeah. uh, but I don't know why anybody wouldn't have that. It's like, I don't know why anyone in Oklahoma wouldn't have a storm cellar. I don't mm-hmm. know why anyone in California wouldn't have the, a house that is to code to at least survive an earthquake. It's like, why do people make such horrendous gambles or poor decisions with their, their most valuable possession? I, I So this is a tough one for me because
0: Ultimately, I believe in personal responsibility, but I get it. Um, I, I think a lot of people, uh, I think if they had the means, they would do it. And I think when you prioritize limited resources, including funding, you, you, you hope that there is a one in a million chance and, and you're not. I'm actually more concerned that the person who plays lottery is not, not worried about getting struck by lightning. Like if you believe in those kind of odds, that you you would believe you would believe that you get struck by lightning and be more serious about it, but like it's the same kind of concept, right? Like we all prioritize and we have a culture that we don't address a problem until it's right in front of our face. The problem with that mentality, though, is that the the just the scope of how big these things are, you can't address it at the last minute. It's impossible. You have to do things when it's blue sky. It, it, you know, President Kennedy said it best, right? The best time to fix the roof is when it's sunny. That is, that is the mentality that emergency managers have adopted. However, culturally speaking, especially in the U.S., it, is, um, it, it, it goes against the norm
2: for sure. So what advice would you have for people in Tampa, for people in uh, St. Pete, for people in Clearwater, that look at what happened south of us what would you tell them they need to do going forward i think the number one thing i would tell people
0: is uh first of all count your blessings not everybody was so lucky and uh interestingly enough if you have a a spirit of gratitude this is going to be kind of funny but uh, when people are grateful that oh I, this time I was the one who got lucky, so I'm going to help out other people. I think when they start, when people start looking at that, they get away from the fallacies of "well, will never happen to me." I got lucky, therefore I should do something so I can remain lucky. And uh, if you want to be more specific, um, there there's companies out there that can protect homes. They 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 have these barriers that you can put up. There's communities that I would. I would go after, go after. I would work with uh, city, the city so much to say, hey, we were going to be under 20 feet of water. What are you going to do about it? And hold them accountable if they don't. Building codes matter. Urban planning matters. Where you live and working with your neighbors matter. Uh, one of the biggest problems I have with doomsday preppers is they have this mentality that they can do it all by themselves. There's not a single case study in the history of the world where a person doing something by themselves doesn't drive them crazy. If you're alone, you will go crazy. It's much better to work with a community. Hurricane Katrina was a great example of that. There was a micro community in uh, Louisiana, a Vietnamese community. The average uh, recovery time in Louisiana was seven years. They recovered in like six weeks because they all worked together. They found the supplies. They had the well, what I would call a memorandum of understanding that worked with different businesses. So from an individual perspective, get to know your neighbors, get emergency supplies, have a plan, get out, all the basic stuff you hear all the time. Businesses, on the other hand, you're, you said 40, 70% of the businesses were wiped out. Nationally speaking, 40% of businesses, small businesses don't come back after a major disaster. Having a, a business continuity plan, even with your competitors saying, hey, if we both get wiped out, we're going to see if we can survive together. Having having those those legal systems in place to be able to operate, uh, insurance matters. Gosh, there's so many different things. People forget that insurance is a first come, first serve. So the faster that you can get your insurance company involved, the faster you will recover. Even if you're like, oh, great, I have insurance, I get to make a claim, well, guess what? It might be like years before they get to you. Right. And water damage years later is pretty hard to prove. So it's, it's a uh, gosh, there's plans, insurance, get out, know your community. That's what I would say.
2: Don't you find people have short memories? I mean, it's like when you're driving down the street and you almost get in an accident and you have that adrenaline rush mm-hmm. and then you drive on and you forget about it. If you're, you know, if something bad happens, you you have a bad medical test and you think you have cancer and then you find out you don't. People have short memories. That's what we've, when we've interviewed people, mayors have said, yeah, five years from now, this will be a memory for people and, and they're going to go on. How do you get them to say, okay, this is not, this is real. Let's make a difference.
0: Unfortunately, historically speaking, it takes another dramatic experience to do that. The best way to overcome that is through uh, training and exercising. And so like it keeps that memory fresh. Some memories sear right? Fort Myers will forever remember this disaster. Uh, You know, uh, Louisiana, especially, you know, um, uh, New Orleans will forever remember Hurricane Katrina. And and, and there's several disasters like that. However, the adjacent communities need to be working with, interview, get to know, especially from an organizational perspective. It is now a responsibility as soon as this disaster is over, responsibility of the community leaders in Fort Myers to warn and work with the community leaders in other areas to help it keep it fresh in their mind. I mean, look at World War II and Europe. This is, again, slightly off topic, but again, uh, a reference point. I was called in to work with NATO because they wanted to understand mass uh, population migration, right? Even the, Even though they're seeing that with Syria, they're preparing for Russia to enter into Europe. all those lessons lost of Europe being destroyed the their infrastructure being destroyed and how that population will react all those lessons have been lost and so now they're looking at emergency managers and saying, "Hey, you deal with you know large scale population change all the time how do you how do you handle that so
2: working with them Wow, um, well, you, you know you hope it's the wake-up call it really does get to people i I mean, I know it's gotten to me I'm not affected by much I'm pretty much a you know, a sarcastic, nothing really bothers me guy. Yeah. And I'm rattled by this one. And I, I can only imagine, you know, I'm, I, I can't really imagine how other people are going to deal with it or how they feel. But I hope they take it seriously. Well, let me let me change the table on you a little bit. What are you going to do differently? I think it will change my plans, how I would protect my family right after or, or when the disaster is before it happens, mm-hmm. knowing that they're in a place that they would be safe. Um, I think I want to reevaluate understanding what the flood level is, because we think we would be okay because we have a newer home. And I want to make sure that we've done everything we can to get to a place where if we ha- if that place will be safe, we can get back easily to try to, to rebuild afterwards, I guess. Yeah, I think that's
0: a great call out. You know, understanding the difference between a crisis and a disaster. You don't always have to let a crisis become a disaster. If you can think, your first line of defense is always be- the ability to think, right? And you're already you're already looking at the future, like, okay, this is still hurricane season, by the way. Two weeks, another system could pop up in the Gulf, and if that happens, leave. Just leave. Distance is your friend. You know, you're talking about being on the outer bands, and it wasn't really that bad. You're looking at the difference between that, what, a couple hundred miles, right? Between you, how far is Fort Myers from you?
2: You know it's it's a less than two hour it's about a two hour drive, maybe okay. less a two hour drive can
0: you know ch- change your whole life, yeah, right? You can come back and survey the damage. and I hope that your home is never impacted, but if it is, I'll be the first one there to help you out,
2: George. but well, is, I appreciate that seriously. you know it, but it is it it, it it does change your thinking. And, you know, I used to do a lot of live television where I was out in storms and you, mm. you had to be thinking all the time in, in a disaster situation. You lose that ability and most people are paralyzed during a disaster. You sit there going, now I can't think anything straight. I just want to watch the coverage and, and you end up just doing nothing. And so the, you can't say enough how much you have to have a plan in advance.
0: I was on a studio set just last. No, no, no. What was it? Five days ago? Five days ago. A a wooden prop it was a large like crane. Essentially, it was supposed to be uh hauling up rock, but the crane fell. It was unstable and it fell in the mud and everybody got out of the way except for a 17 year old kid. I think he was 17. He looks up and he went like this. I mean, that would have put him in the ground, essentially. I mean, literally, I mean, like a hammer into the ground. He's so small compared to the thing. But luckily, somebody screamed at him again and he, he got out of the way and nobody got hurt. Is fine but somebody said hey why don't you move he's like i wanted to but all i could think was to do this yeah and and that is the natural tendency i think we also it's the same reason why you know if we see like a train on fire we all want to watch instead of like get out it's like it's like fasting it seems like incomprehensible going back to that word like is this really possible like this is outside of the norm so much well you fast forward and, uh, you know, people people do this in hurricanes. They do this in every disaster, even if they want to. This is why I'm a little more uh, understanding than I used to be. Even if they want to, they feel like they can't or they're just
2: paralyzed by the, the shock of it. Speaking of which, did you see the weatherman who was hit by the tree? Yeah, Jim Cantori. And, and, you know, then he went back out afterwards. And, and I got to tell you, I think I, I admire those guys. I think they're great meteorologists. But that's the stupidest thing. How are they benefiting anybody's life by being out there? I think they would have more benefit being behind the shelter and showing us really good pictures. But the stupidity of putting yourself in a life-threatening situation when you don't have to goes against every bit of rational thinking that exists.
0: Well, it actually tells people that they can do it, too. Yeah. Like, oh, he's out there. I could do it. That looks fun. You know, um, so you see so you have that problem. Actually, the number one thing that has gotten people to leave is not by telling people to write their social security number on their forearm with a permanent marker. It's not by telling them that first responders can't save them. The number one thing that has happened is actually, I think it's from the uh the weather channel, but it could be from Noah as well. They'll have a, a graphic of a person and a house and they'll show what the how high the water will be in comparison. Yeah. And we've gotten more positive feedback. So I'm like, that got me to leave. Like I, I didn't realize, like my house. could When they say flooding, you think it's in the street, or you think like, oh, hopefully it doesn't come up to the tires of my car or my driveway. No, no, no. Your floor is gone, and that has gotten people to to leave. And uh, I hope we use that more of that that imagery where somebody doesn't actually have to be out there, but movie
2: magic, whatever you want to call it, gets people to to start moving. All right, John. Hey, thank you so much for your time this morning. Um, as always, you have brilliant information that I think. People will really benefit from listening to, and, and I hope they do. George, it's
0: always a pleasure to talk to you. please uh, contact me anytime, and I hope your house never gets nailed by a hurricane.
2: Thank thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I appreciate
2: that. Welcome. Joining me now is Eris Papadopoulos, who literally wrote the book about how we need to make better choices on where we live and what we live in. ARIS is an international pioneer in consumer-driven resilience. He was named a distinguished expert in resilience at Florida International University and wrote the book Resilience." the ultimate sustainability i've had aris on a couple of times um uh, aris welcome thank you for coming on
1: uh, thank you uh, george good to see you and um uh, happy to talk to your uh, your audience
2: yeah you know this was uh this completely changed a, a lot of people's lives forever um in you know in an insignificant way it changed what i was doing because that storm was supposed to hit tampa where i live and i was documenting our preparations and what was going to happen and now i feel really stupid it's like wow none of that would have mattered we would have been wiped out
1: Yeah, i don't know where exactly um, elevation wise and distance from the coast you are but definitely this was the real mccoy it was a um, uh, andrew uh, kind of size event um, um, so you know we're fortunate it didn't hit Miami. We're fortunate it didn't hit Tampa directly, but uh, it did hit a very developed part of Florida and obviously has crossed the state and has done damage on
2: the uh, northeastern side and now headed to to the Carolinas. Now, what I'm not doing is is I'm not showing a lot of images of, of what Ian did down there because everybody can see those. You can get those mm-hmm. anywhere. But mm-hmm. what I was interested in having the theme of of the podcast be about is Okay, so how do people react to this that were not in that area? I know when we, we made the last house standing, we talked about, you know, Hurricane Michael and, and how it hit uh, Mexico Beach. But this is completely different because this was not an, an older community that was not even close to code. So I guess my first question would be, do you know how strong a code they had in those areas? And then we're still seeing that kind of damage.
1: Yes, well, well, you're looking at uh, decades of housing. You know, I I just yesterday was kind of looking at the um, Fort Myers Beach area just to get an idea of when a lot of those properties were built. And you do have some some properties built in the in the 20s, some properties built in the 40s, 50s, uh, and and then you have recent properties in the in the 90s and and after 2000. So you have a, a pretty you know wide segment of properties. And my guess would be that uh, what we've seen destroyed is not what has been built in the last 20, 25 years. It's mostly what has been built before that. Uh, but that's to be confirmed. But you know, that, that's my original guess. Uh, the, the key point here is that you know our building stock still has a lot of vulnerable properties, even in very hazard-prone areas. And if you're looking to move into a property, you know, make double sure you understand what you're looking at. You know, uh, yes, it may be pretty, it may have had this, uh, you know, interior renovated and and look look nice, but you know, if you're looking at a property that was built to a uh, a standard of let's say eighty miles an hour or ninety or a hundred, and you're in a zone that could be impacted by Category Four or even five in the future, um, you know, you you better take caution.
2: Now, if that storm. If, if Hurricane Ian had hit South Florida, uh, the, the southeast part of the state, how would you imagine Miami and Fort Lauderdale and Boca and all those areas would have held up because a lot of them have the toughest building codes in the country? How do you think that, that, that they might have fared? I know you said it, you're glad you didn't hit there. Of course. I mean, we all are glad when it misses us. But what do you think would have happened?
1: Well, this was a combined wind and Water event, obviously, we saw significant storm surge in the order of 10, 15 feet uh, plus in locations. So wind-wise, I would expect that uh, southeast Florida would have fared quite well. Uh, obviously, there's still some older buildings that were not affected by, by Andrew uh, further north of Homestead and, and those uh, you know south Miami areas that could have been damaged but a lot fewer than what we've, we're seeing now from this, this eon impact. Um, but the storm surge would have been devastating uh, in the coastal part of Miami Beach, uh, even the coast along Biscayne uh, Bay. Uh, so you would have had uh, some pretty serious flood damage uh, to properties uh, that uh, you know, are within, let's say, you know, less than 15 feet elevation from the water.
2: Yeah, I was reading the updated Hurricane Phoenix scenario for Tampa before the hurricane hit, and they were talking about how some areas would have twenty feet of water in them. Downtown St. Petersburg would be an island now, and it would—they would named the one spot that might be above water. Uh, where I live, the flood level is ten feet. It seems like we would have had water in our house if that had hit here. Um, how do you think this is going to change people's mentality? going forward i know it's changed mine um i'm not a lifelong floridian but but this is my home i love this place Mm -hmm. but it it scared the hell out of me
1: well you know i know it's scary and i know it's a a moment people kind of think but it's an it's important for us to think about that you know that that's one of the most important thing choices we have to make as individuals where we live and in what uh we live in so you know a lot of people should be rethinking their location. You know, anybody I like to say below fifteen feet elevation, whether that's from a uh, the the coast or from a river or even a, a creek, you know if if you're you know you can have flash flooding with these very intense rains, you know, better be thinking, you know, what am I what can I do to mitigate the risk that I have? And obviously, people that are in homes that were built to lower standards of wind, uh, particularly you know within a, a few miles of the coast uh should be thinking the same thing you know eh, what do I do can can I do something or do I need to tear this uh, you know house totally down and rebuild from scratch and do things differently so I think that that's a an important thought I mean other people may say I'm packing up and leaving you know I'm headed heading for higher ground so to speak yeah. uh but for those who stay uh I think it's important to say you know what am I going to prioritize? And second, you know, how do I get, uh, you know, the funding to to do that? Um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of appreciation uh, in Florida during the last uh, two, three years. A lot of people have moved during the, the COVID uh, crisis uh, from the north to the south. Uh, so, you know, a lot of properties have appreciated. A lot of people are sitting on, you know, much higher equity uh, land has appreciated. Um, so, you know, can you use part of that equity, to say, okay, I, I'm I'm going to build either an add-on, uh, you know, and, and uh, if I'm a two-story house, you know, I'm converting the existing first story to just, you know, uh, an open area, uh, you know, for ping pong tables or whatever, um, you know, but something that, you know, I don't care if it floods or not. And I'll just use the second story of the existing house, and then I'll add on something stronger next to it or right behind it in which, you know, I'll co- kind of connect the second floor and that's where I'll live.
2: Now, all the newer homes that are being built in South Tampa and around Tampa, are a, they have to be 10 or 11 feet. I think they might have raised it in some areas to 11. But if Ian had hit here, you know, I'm probably half a mile from from the bay, not from the coast. Mm-hmm. You think we would have got 15 feet of water here? Um, and then it's all the damage that p- piles into your house from other structures that are older. Mm-hmm. We're I, I would say Tampa is very much like Naples and um, Fort Myers in the sense that you have that mixture in the community, you have the really old homes and the really new ones. And it, it's a scary blueprint because that was the exact path that is our doomsday path here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and so much of this depends on terrain. Uh, you know, the, 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 the water moves uh, along what is the, its easiest path and, and its easiest path is not to climb up is to just to go in the the lowest part of the the terrain so you know if the terrain is totally flat theoretically you know the water will spread evenly unless there are obstructions that we have built but let's say that even you know west east of the bay where you are let's say it's just a little bit hilly you know uh just some you know some areas are a little higher some areas are a little lower you know the the water will tend to go in those lower areas. I mean, those areas will be where the water is kind of reaching in, and if you're there, uh, you're going to feel the impact of that surge as it floods the bay and kind of makes its way further, um, you know, inland. And and could be affected by wind. If the if if the wind is behind that, you know, kind of moving it, it will push the water uh, much stronger inland than it would be if if the wind uh, is not behind it. Uh, so you know. Uh, I mean, th- these are all things you gotta you gotta think about when you're planning the future, uh, and uh, you know uh, the tough decisions for everyone. And, and I guess you're ma- you're in, the, in that thought process yourself.
2: Yeah, when we were making the last house standing, and we were talking to local officials here, they were saying, "Well, Hurricane Michael hopefully is a wake up call." And I know that those professionals do a lot of stuff behind the scenes that we probably don't know about, but it seems like a lot of the stuff they do is preparing for how to handle after the storm hits mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if they're doing stuff in front of that to make us safer i i'm not aware of it and so it, it might exist but i just don't know about it how could this not be the ultimate wake up call to everybody yeah. i mean you don't get i know a lot of lifelong floridians like mm-hmm. ah it, it's very hard for a storm to hit tampa because they turn to the right so yeah. this was close
1: well you know again you know we focus on the response we focus on the you know, often the the hazard too much. We don't focus on what we are responsible for, which is our own development, and um, you know that that is not talked enough, and it's easily forgotten. Uh, but you know, there's one thing that uh, is very clear to me: the insurance industry is going is is facing already was facing troubles before Ian. And um, We had like six or so insurance companies in Florida that went insolvent. And there are many reasons for that. the reinsurance market has become very difficult. They can't get you know inexpensive reinsurance like they were getting years ago and and reinsurance is, is, is in fact the insurance for insurers. Uh, you know inflation has been a factor. Their costs have gone up uh, as have been costs of you know claims. Um, and also litigation uh, has been a higher rising cost in Florida. I don't know if you know this, but Florida, Historically, over the last decade or so, has had like ten percent of the national claims, and and like eighty percent of the national litigation on claims. So, you know, we have um, you know, and the legislature in Florida has tried to solve this, but not satisfactorily. So, you know, th- that's been you know driving insurers uh, out of the state. So, you know, imagine now what might might lie ahead uh, after they've paid out tens of billions of dollars and are saying, you know, we don't want to be in the state. And in fact, the state has has imposed now a 60-day kind of moratorium on cancellations and, and uh, you know, dropping policies and so forth. But what will happen after the 60 days or after the 90 days and so forth? You know, people are going to make their choices from the insurance side and either say, you know, we've got to double the the, the premiums or we're, we're, we're just stepping out of the state, you know, and where's, where's that going to leave you? You know, so if you're going to be more and more, Self-insured, so to speak, you know, because the deductibles are going to go up, the costs are going to go up uh, for premiums. Uh, you've got to take these matters of resilience about where you live, uh, what kind of you know property you have, into your own hands and make your choices. And people need more information, and you know, you're doing your your part with this uh, this this podcast. I'm doing as much as, as we can, but we gotta we gotta get you know uh, the the media and and more people talking about this. Uh, you know, in the months and years after this event.
2: It's another thing that's challenging, too, is where people go if they do leave. A lot of people from Tampa went to Orlando. Orlando got it worse than Tampa. Um, so, you know, you want to say, OK, if I'm going to get out, where do I go? You, The time to make that plan is is now for the next one, not right when the next one is barreling down on you. The people in Fort Myers, though, they were in the cone it just, nobody was talking about that being a scenario. It was like everybody was focused on Tampa.
1: Yeah. And in, in fact, you know, Tampa, Tampa got the, the, most of the attention and and obviously, you know, Tampa is much, much more dense and, uh, you know, from the Bay side, you know, has, has much, much higher risk, but, you know, uh, Fort Myers, you know, that, that uh, the Naples area and so forth, you know, you, you have a mix of people there, you know, I mean, there's some people who have come down and said, okay, I'm coming down here to retire. Uh, and and that's even riskier because if you're an older person, you probably have restrictions in in terms of mobility, your you know you know your ability to to respond and so forth. Uh, you you want to be like me in a, in a low risk, you know, very resilient house. Um, so you know, uh, I urge re- re- retirees, and I'm I'm trying to get the ARP that I'm a member of to 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 put an article you know talking about this subject. I haven't been successful yet. Uh, because you know retirees have to be thinking about where they're going to, so you have this that, that big class of people. Uh, then you have people who basically have vacation homes. Yes, they have their primary home somewhere else. Hopefully, it's in a more resilient location and uh, place. Uh, and they basically say, "Okay, that's my vacation house. Uh, you know, I'm I, I have somewhere else to go. I'm not going to worry about it. I have my boat slip there. Um, hopefully, some of them have the financial capacity." To, uh, to afford, uh, you know, uh, this kind of loss. Then you have people that, you know, are in the lower kind of uh, uh, levels of of, um, of economics that basically live in manufactured houses and mobile houses. You know, those are really, I, I call them like, uh, you know, uh, basically live in coffins. You know, they're they, they the first that are going to get wiped out, destroyed, you know. And, and hopefully they have the sense to evacuate quickly because they are the most vulnerable um so you you know you still have a lot of those and and i can't believe how many manufactured and mobile homes we have in vulnerable states like florida you know (laughs) you know hundreds of thousands (laughs) in
2: fact you and you and i have talked about this before okay what kind of memory do people have you know michael might not have been enough of a wake-up call for people now we have ian when I've talked to people after a disaster, some of the officials or the mayor or whatever will say, people will forget about this in five years. Um, and and they'll just be going on with their lives, but not the people in Naples and Fort Myers mm-hmm. and Sanibel. I mean, it's it could be five to ten years before those areas, and some of them may never recover based yeah, on what yeah. we're hearing. So mm-hmm. you have people have to understand the path to recovery maybe, maybe never. Yes,
1: exactly. And and as we saw in, in New Orleans. Uh, some people may just pick up and leave for good, you know, and, and that can affect obviously uh, businesses, the economy, uh, et cetera. And, and you and I worked on, um, you know, this uh, Mexico beach kind of, you know, post disaster, you know, a uh, survey. Uh, we saw there the difficulties people had, and, and these were generally, you know, it was a small area. And these were generally middle income uh, people, you know, with, with, um, you know, uh, the decent incomes and so forth. And it's taken three, four, you know, maybe even more years to recover. And the difficulties they faced, even when they were insured, uh, to collect uh, the funds they needed to, uh, to rebuild.
2: So for people that are not in the areas that were hit, what advice would we leave with them for how they should process hurricane Ian? Because the people that are in it, there's there's not much we can do for them other than give financial support and 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 support any way we can. But for the people around there, like the people here, the people in South Florida, what advice would you have for them?
1: Well, the first step is to do a self-assessment. You know, I must think of it like a health assessment. You know, uh, you know, you you go through a you know you 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 hear about a friend, let's say, who had a, a severe uh, you know health issue, and you look at yourself and you see the similarities, and you kind of say you know i've got to change my lifestyle you know if i want to uh, extend my 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 life you know and and uh, and, and and live uh, in a proper way uh, so we need to do you know each of us needs to do a property assessment and um, you know i I'm, I'm trying to provide tools for doing that uh, on my website buildingresilient.com you know i have the buyer's guide i'm i'm uh, working right now on kind of an adaptation kind of uh, self-exam, a a self-quiz that you can take, you know, to see whether you should be adopting early uh, and and if yes, what kind of adaptation you should be be doing. Uh, Other resources include uh, uh, online and are for free flood factor. Uh, Go there and check what your flood risk is. Uh, You know, you just have to enter your property. They're not going to try to sell you anything. It's a nonprofit, you know, and and they have suggestions uh, there too as to what you can do. So, you know, doing a self-assessment, I think, wherever you are, uh, is the first step. And then developing a a plan, an action plan. And if you are planning to spend any money on your house, um, you know, any renovation money, make sure that you prioritize items that will make your house less vulnerable, that will make it more resilient. Yes, you may like that, uh, you know, uh, kitchen to uh, that new kitchen or that, you know, fancy bathroom or doing something cosmetic. But, you know, you're going to lose it all if, you know, what you're sitting on is a vulnerable uh, property. So, you know, the first priority should be, you know, uh, do I, if, I, if I need to replace a roof, let me go to a hurricane rated roof instead of just the code roof. You know, the code may say you're good with a roof at 130 miles an hour. But maybe you should put a, a roof that's for 170 miles an hour, you know, uh, windows and doors and garage doors, you know, the code may say, okay, you can go with an ordinary door that's good for, um, you know, 100 miles an hour, 110 miles an hour. But maybe you need to put a a, a hurricane rated door and windows and, and be safe on that side. So all these kind of things, you know, there, there's a whole list of, of, of things that you should be prioritizing uh, if you're looking to stay in that house and renovate it. Obviously, if you're in a low uh, location, you know your your choices become tougher because they become more expensive. Uh, you know, number of people are looking at elevating homes, and yes, you can elevate a house. You know, but depending on its size and its weight, uh, it may cost you know a couple hundred thousand dollars uh, to do that. Uh, or you, if you, if you're permitted to build more on that, uh, you know, site, you may add on. You know, as I mentioned earlier. Um, a, a new uh, extension to the house uh, that, that will be more more resilient. So, you know, the, there's, a, there's a list of choices. Unfortunately, you know, we don't, don't have that many people helping uh, homeowners kind of f- go through that. It'd be more useful if, if governments spend time helping uh, consumers in that rather than tell them, okay, make sure you got your medicine, make sure you got your, you know, bought your water, Uh, things like that. You know, I mean, they, they, they tell us, you know, the, the stuff, you know, just a a few days uh, before the event, but then they forget about us during the rest of the year.
2: And of course, all that goes out the window. If you have a 20 foot storm surge and the infrastructure of your community is entirely wiped out, um, even the best planning can lead to a bad uh, outcome.
1: Yeah. There are certain areas that unfortunately, maybe we have to return back to nature
2: eventually. Yeah, and, and and I think one of the most important things for people to take away is you make the plan in advance, because I can tell you firsthand, as it gets closer to you, your brain doesn't work the same way. You are re- captured by coverage, watching what's unfolding. Mm-hmm. And you're almost paralyzed to the point of that's not the time you want to start going, OK, where could we go? What should we do? I and mean, you do that on a nice day. Exactly. Aaron, Absolutely. hey, yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate you coming on um, as always a bunch of great information and I encourage everybody to read your book uh, resilience, the ultimate sustainability that that should be a must read for anybody that wants to have house anywhere.
1: Thank you, George. Appreciate the, the plug and uh, you know, I'm here to help uh, communicate. This. this has been become my, my life purpose as a retired construction veteran and
2: also a world Trade 911 survivor to, to communicate the public what they can do. Thank you so much for listening to today's Tell Us How to Make It Better podcast. Certainly a a very sad and tragic situation that that people are going to be experiencing now for, for years. And I guess we'll see if that changes anybody's thought process of whether they want to continue to live where they're living or if they'll do something to make where they are living safer. If you want to get a hold of John or Eris, their information is in the show notes. And if you have any questions or comments for me, If you know somebody who was affected by the disaster, I have a contact form in the show notes. It's also um, on my website, tellushowtomakeitbetter.com. And if they want to talk, if they want to uh, talk about their situation or what they're going to do going forward, I would certainly love to hear from you and hear from them. So uh, that's there for you to reach out. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.